Luke chapter 1. Appreciate the opportunity for the kids to get taught on their level. That's a blessing there. It's a little bit hard to realize that Christmas is already on us, but it is rapidly approaching. How many of you have started on your Christmas shopping? There is something wrong with you. It's not even the 20th yet, but that's good. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad for you. I heard about one couple who was busy shopping just before Christmas, and the wife, they're at the mall and going to different stores, and the wife suddenly noticed that her husband's not with her anymore, and, and they were kind of splitting up going to different stores. So she called him on his cell phone and asked, where are you? I still have a lot of things to do. Where are you at? So he said, do you remember that jeweler where we went to, that jewelry store we went to about 10 years ago, and you fell in love with that diamond necklace? She said, yes, I do. He says, you remember I said I couldn't afford it at that time, but that one day I would get it for you? Little tears are starting to form on the corner of her eyes. She says, yes, I do remember that. He says, I'm in the sporting goods shop right next to that store. So, <laughs> Don't you love the sensitivity of husbands? Isn't that wonderful? Amen. A little weird of a time Christmas is where we all sit around our living rooms looking at a dead tree and eating out of our socks. And uh, it's a time, different time of the year, but it's a blessing anyway. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had your life disrupted? We uh, just saw the video we just watched. We see two women whose lives took a, an unexpected turn at an unexpected time. Both of them experienced a miracle, but only after their whole existence was disrupted. A.W. Tozer said, It is doubtful that God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. And maybe you can relate Maybe there's been times that you've run headlong into a powerful disruption in your life. What do you do when you're facing the unexpected? I'm going to read quite a bit of Scripture today because we're going to talk about two women today. You've just met them kind of in a video here. We're going to talk today about life disrupted, the story of Mary and Elizabeth. And so if you look with me at Luke chapter 1 and starting at verse number 5, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias and the horse of Abia, and his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. And they had no child, because that Elizabeth was barren, and they both were now well stricken in years. And it came to pass that while he executed the priest's office before God in the order of his course, according to the custom of the priest's office, his lot was to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. And the whole multitude of the people were praying without at the time of incense. And there appeared unto him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And when Zacharias saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said unto him, Fear not, Zacharias, for thy prayer is heard. And thy wife Elizabeth shall bear thee a son, and thou shalt call his name John. And thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. For he shall be great in the sight of the Lord, and shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He shall be filled with the Holy Ghost, even from his mother's womb. Zacharias, look at verse 18, said unto the angel, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife well stricken in years. And the angel answered and said unto him, I am Gabriel, that stand in the presence of God, and am sent to speak unto thee, and show thee these glad tidings. And behold, thou shalt be dumb and not able to speak till the day that these things shall be performed. Life disrupted. 
Mary and Elizabeth. I pray, Father, you'd use this reading of your word and what we'll read in a minute to speak to our hearts today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's meet Elizabeth. When Herod was king of Judea, there was a priest by the name of Zechariah. His wife uh, was named Elizabeth, and both of them, the Bible says, were good people. They obeyed the Lord. They pleased the Lord. They were righteous, but they did not have children, and now they are old. How old were they? According to Jewish uh, custom in their language, the uh, commencement of old age begins when a person turns 65. Now, at age 70, he is, be, he is said to have reached a hoary-headed age. Proverbs 16.31 uses that language. After age 80, he was said to be well-stricken in years. So presumably they were in their 80s because that's how the Bible describes them. They were well stricken in years. Elizabeth had spent her whole life preparing to be John the Baptist's mom. The only thing was she didn't know she was being prepared to be John the Baptist's mom. Uh, but that's what the Lord was doing. Uh, Elizabeth had experienced a lifetime of struggling with her barrenness. She lived in a culture where really the only use and uh, uh, the, the function for a woman in that society was to have children. And if you couldn't have children, your purpose wasn't being realized and uh, you would be it would be a tremendous sadness to anybody in that situation. So what good was a woman like Elizabeth? She may have asked herself that many times, uh, not being able to have children. And for years, she and Zechariah prayed that God would give them a child. And all those years, their prayer went unanswered. Like many of us, probably once they reached a certain age of past childbearing, they probably said, well, we don't need to pray about this anymore because obviously we have God's answer. Maybe they gave up praying because it was no longer a possibility. It wasn't going to happen for them. Yet, can I tell you today that what is impossible for us is never impossible for God. It's always a possibility for Him. And it's humbling for us when we come to the end of our resources and realize that there's nothing else we can physically or humanly do. But before we can experience God's power, we need to acknowledge that we're powerless and we're unable. All those years, Elizabeth may have felt God was punishing her, but God was not punishing her. God was preparing her. And he was preparing her for this moment in her life. He used her weakness to demonstrate his power. He'll do that for you too. If she had given birth to John in her 20s or 30s, the people would have said, oh, Zechariah and Elizabeth are having a baby. That's nice. That's nothing odd about that. It would have been nice and rejoiced. But now, now things are different. Everybody knew that Elizabeth could not have children at this age. And so this was a big sign that this birth was no regular birth. God was doing something, and they'd better pay attention to it. Her baby had little to do with her and her husband and everything to do with the power of God. So here's how it happened. Uh, the scripture, the text we just read, talks about the time coming where <coughs> Zacharias, as a high priest, he was uh, of the course of Abia, that's the line that he was in, and there came a time for their, that line to do their duty in the sanctuary. So uh, it happened that the lot fell on Zacharias, and he would be the one to go in and uh, into the holy place and burn incense on the golden altar. He would choose, as custom would demand, he would choose two priest helpers to help him, and they would all go in through the great door of the temple and to the splendor of the sanctuary. 
one of his friends would go and remove the previous day's offering, and then he would back respectfully out of the room, and the other priest would approach the golden altar. He would cover it with burning coals uh, that was taken from the brazen altar where the animals were uh, burned and sacrificed. Then he too backed out of the holy place, leaving Zacharias there alone. Zacharias would then draw near to the golden altar, uh, behind which uh, the golden altar was the veil. And he knew what was behind the veil, as all Israel did. Behind that veil uh, was the sacred Ark of the Covenant with the mercy seat. It represented God's holiness and very presence. And the moment finally came. And as Zacharias approached the coals there, he would put incense on the coals and, and a, a powerful aroma would arise and, and, and just, uh, you, you would, you would not have any mistake, uh, at, even later as he walked out among the people that he had been in the presence of God. Outside, crowds of people were waiting. This is a big moment. And so they were waiting outside and praying that everything would go well, waiting for Zacharias to come out because this ceremony <coughs> was a big deal. Little did they know what was delaying him. Because in the holy place, his duties now performed, Zacharias is about to back out of the room himself, respectfully, and as he does so, he saw him. There by the golden altar was a shining angel. And as we can imagine, Zacharias was really uh, afraid. He was face to face with a heavenly messenger. He could hardly believe what he heard next. Because in the first sentence that this messenger spoke, he said, thy prayer is heard. He was going to have a son. And the son's name was going to be John, which means Jehovah shows favor. And he goes on to say, thou shalt have joy and gladness, and many shall rejoice at his birth. With those words right there, 400 years of heavenly silence ended. Did you notice that? That's the first time God spoke in 400 years. And it was to this man, Zacharias. There have been four centuries of conflict. Israel had been kicked back and forth in the struggles between Syria and Egypt for power. Finally, the Jews gained a measure of independence, but now they're dealing with the Romans and they have to deal with Herod now. <coughs> and now, John, the herald and forerunner of the Messiah... Is, was to come, and God would use this aging old priest and his wife to do it even better. Behind him, not long after he would come, the Messiah would be coming as well. The angel's encounter shows us and reminds us that God's timing is always right. Even when on our calendar it seems like he's late or he hasn't shown up at all, his timing is always right. We can trust God in the good times as well as in the challenging times of our lives. We can always trust His timing. Well, Zacharias, understandably, is dumbfounded. And this is what he says, Whereby shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife well stricken in years. I read that and I got a good chuckle out of that. Did you notice the wording? My wife is, uh, I am old and my wife is well stricken in years. So what he's saying is, I am old and my wife is really old. I'm in this short, sweet spot. My wife is nine months older than I am. And uh, currently, 
she's in her 50s and I'm in my 40s. I like to just say it that way, you know. Uh, it sounds better than there being a nine-month difference. So I have that short, I would never say it, understand. I'm using it for purposes of an illustration, okay? That's what he said. Thankfully, she looks 10 years younger than me, so she's got that covered. But this is what he's saying. I'm old, but my wife is really, really old. She's well stricken in years. And give me a sign. Now it's time for the angel to be surprised. Look at his response. He, the angel answered, verse 19, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. You're going to ask me for a sign? Fine, he said, I'll give you a sign. I'm going to make it so you can't say something silly like that anymore. And he shut his mouth for the entire time of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Because you doubted me, he said, you'll be dumb until your son is born. And that's just what happened. This old priest might have come out of the temple that day with his tongue aflame to shout the good news of what was going to come. Instead, he couldn't talk for nine months. I can only imagine the scene when he came out of the temple. They were getting worried because he had been in there so long, and now they ask him, what took you so long? And he could not answer uh, what took him so long. And he goes to Elizabeth, and I wonder, you know, did he use a pad and paper? Did he start to motion to her that, you know, you're going to uh, become pregnant, you're going to have a baby? And she probably thought he had gone slap crazy while he was in the temple there. So time passed. The sudden flurry of excitement, the temple, and among the people died away. The rabbis probably wrote the whole thing off as some kind of nervous breakdown. Zacharias, after all, was pretty old. Who would take much notice of him anyway? The world went on its way, and people went on with their affairs. Six months passed, and in heaven, God's great clock was about to chime again. And here's where we meet Mary, if you'll read with me in verse number 26. And in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into the city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. When she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. And the angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great and shall be called the son of the highest. And the Lord, uh, the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Look at verse 34. Then said Mary unto the angel, How shall this be, seeing that I know not a man? The angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And behold, thy cousin Elizabeth, she hath also conceived a son in her old age, and this is the sixth month with her, who is called barren. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Say that with me, would you? For with God, nothing shall be impossible. Let me introduce you to Mary. Her father's name was Eli. She had a sister named Salome, and she had a cousin or a relative named Elizabeth. She's young, she is poor, she is a devout believer in God, and she is very much in love. Mary may have been as young as 13 or 18 to 19, as old as 18 to 19 years old. For the purpose of our message today, let's just call her 16, okay? That was about the middle uh, age of hers. So when the story opens, Mary is betrothed to Joseph. Now that word betrothed is kind of like our word engaged, but it takes it a little further 
Uh, this meant that she formally agreed to marry him, but the wedding ceremony had not yet taken place. Between the betrothal and the wedding feast, often that was about six months to a year. But during that period, they were considered to be married. Like if they broke up during that time, it actually took divorce. They were considered to be married. Uh, they were called husband and wife. However, they did not live together, nor did they physically consummate their marriage until after the wedding feast. So in the custom of that day, Mary would live with her parents, and Joseph would live with his parents, and then after the wedding would actually take place, they would live together as man and wife. Mary had never been happier, I can imagine. This would be the uh, most exciting time of a young girl's life, is that time looking forward to her wedding. And it is at this point that her life is disrupted. Uh, the dream of a beautiful wedding, gone. The hopes of a normal life, gone. The prospect of a respectable place in her community, that's gone as well. Yes, she will be married, but not before the gossip mills start to turn and rumors spread. She'll have a home, she's going to have children, but over her family for the rest of her natural-born life will rest a cloud of suspicion and things said about her that shouldn't be said about anybody. She made plans like Joseph made plans, uh, like many of us make plans in our life. And then they found themselves at the intersection of expectation and reality. Have you ever visited that place? Where all of your expectations and your plans and, and then it runs into the brick wall of something that happens in your life you have no control over. Maybe you can relate. Your expectations are shattered with the reality of circumstances. Circumstances are much like a mattress. If you lay under a mattress, you're going to be suffocated, okay? Uh, and that's if you get under your circumstance, you'll be suffocated as well. If you're on top of the mattress, you'll have rest. Get on top of your circumstances, you will as well. Uh, man is not the creature of his circumstances. Circumstances are the creatures of men. And God is not bound to those circumstances, thank God. When the crisis comes, we find out who the pretenders are and who the players are. And that is often a defining moment, as it was for both of these ladies. We see what they were made of when unexpected hardship hit their lives. Look at verse number 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin, a spouse to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. I want to stress two facts here about Mary. First of all, she was a virgin. Verse 27 mentions that two times. The Greek word is parthenos. It leaves no doubt on this issue. It literally means a woman who has never had physical relations with a man. She was pure. Secondly, thing about Mary, she had no idea what was about to happen. Mary had no clue that her life would be changed forever from this point on. Mary and Gabriel about to have a conversation where Gabriel does most of the talking. There's three parts to his announcement. And in Mary's responses, we start to see how she begins to believe the impossible. Let's set the scene. Mary's at home one day. Maybe she's doing her chores, involved in some project. I know that she wasn't watching the Kardashians because the Bible calls her righteous, and no righteous people would ever do that. So she sees a stranger uh, probably standing outside or, or by, maybe by the olive tree in the yard. She sees this stranger that she does not know, and then he sp spoke to her, and she got a little spooked. Hail thou that art highly favored among women. 
The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. Now, Mary didn't know what to make of this. Suppose you ran into somebody you've never seen before. They're on your property, and they say, Good news, this is your lucky day. God has chosen you above everyone else for a special plan that he has. How do you respond to that? Verse number 29, She was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. So basically, what kind of conversation opener is that? She's 16 years old-ish, minding her own business, about to be married, dreaming of the future. Now some stranger shows up and says, God has chosen you among all other women. But that's not all. The stranger tells her something now that shocks her. He says, congratulations, you're going to have a baby. That's good news if you're looking to hear it or you're planning for it. But she can't believe, I mean, this is an amazing thing because she's never been in a relationship with a man. So not just any baby, he said. You're going to ha- give birth to the very Son of God. Now, you've, you've heard these verses and we've read them. We read them every Christmas. We go through them and it becomes so familiar. We sometimes forget the impact. Think about this young girl going about her life, about to be married, and getting this news. It would be earth-shattering for her. Hey, a stranger, God thinks you're extraordinary, and you're going to have a baby. How's that for a disruption in life? How are you supposed to respond to that? Do you argue? Do you call 911? Do you just LOL? I mean, what do you do when you hear news like that? She does none of these things. In fact, I I love this because this is so human. She passes over all the big stuff. Like Gabriel says, he shall be called the son of the highest. This is pretty big stuff, isn't it? I just had a granddaughter. That would be pretty cool if somebody, if these things were said about our offspring. But she doesn't ask why she was picked for that high honor. She doesn't ask about the fact that this is going to be the son of the highest. Skips right over that. Like any young girl hearing news like this, she jumps right to the practical part of the announcement. This one little area needs to be cleared up, Gabe. How shall I, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? This is a perfectly normal question, isn't it? Especially on the mind of a young person. Mary's betrothed. She's not married yet, uh, formerly married. She's never been with a man. How could she have a child? And I love this. I love this because pay close attention to how she responds. She does not say, no way, not possible. But she says, how? That's interesting to me. Uh, There's a difference between her and Zacharias. Because when Zacharias was told, he says, how can I believe you? But she says, "How? hey, I believe you, but how's it going to happen? There's a big difference in their response. In essence, all right, I'm willing to say yes. I'm willing to be used, but you need to explain. I, I need to get a handle on this one little problem. That's faith. That's believing the impossible. That's trusting God when the facts argue against it. I'll tell you today, we have in our midst, probably in this room right here, no doubt we have some people that are in desperate need of a miracle. Everything might point to the impossibility of your heart's need, but there is a God in heaven, friend, that can take our impossibility and make it a reality. He did it for Elizabeth. He did it for Mary. He can do it for you too. Now, Gabriel explains this incidentally, 
is the only explanation of the virgin birth in the Bible. Look what it says. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore, also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Gabriel explains what's about to happen to Mary is a result of a direct intervention of God. The Holy Spirit is the agent of this birth. The Son of God is the result of this virgin birth. And the, the word therefore is very crucial in this verse because without the virginal conception by the Holy Spirit, then the Holy One of God could not be born. Uh, the, without the virgin birth, there would be no Christmas. There would be no Messiah. Because you understand, the virgin birth is a very, very important doctrine for us to believe in the Bible. This isn't just some fairy tale. This is vital that we accept this doctrine as is presented in the Word of God. Let me give you three reasons why this is so important. Number one, Jesus had a heavenly origin. If it, con it concerns Jesus' identity as the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, if Joseph were his true father... Uh, then Jesus would be only a human being. He would not be the Son of God the way that Scripture claims. He would have had His beginning in time rather than being eternal. And the Bible tells us in John 1.1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He is eternal. Number two, Jesus had a sinless nature. A second reason why the virgin birth is important is it points to the sinless character of Christ. If Jesus had a human father, then he would have uh, he would have received a sinful nature. The Bible says in Romans chapter five verse twelve, "Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned." You have a sin nature. It is not a behavioral problem; it is a condition that you inherited from your dad. In fact. Call him today and tell him, Dad, it's your fault I do this. I don't know. That never got me out of trouble, but I wish I'd have known this as a teenager. I could have said, hey, I only do these things wrong because of you. I get my sin nature from you. That's where we get it. We get it from our Father. Jesus didn't have an earthly father, so he did not have a sin nature. Uh, this is important, all right? We understand this because he, had not, uh, he never sinned. Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2.22, Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. John, in 1 John 3.5, And you know that he was manifested to take away our sin. In him is no sin. If Jesus were the son of Joseph, then his sinless character would be a myth because he'd have a sin nature. Can I remind you, friend, that you're not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you're a sinner. And if Jesus would have had a sin nature, he would have sinned. But he did not because he had a heavenly father, not an earthly father. Big difference. And then number three, uh, Jesus was the perfect sacrifice. The third reason it's so important to believe the virgin birth is because it concerns our salvation. Without the sinlessness of Christ, there would be no salvation. Christ came, according to the Apostle Paul, to save those that were under the law, Galatians 4.4. 4. But the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were under the law. 
God uh, required a sacrifice of a lamb without spot or without blemish. In Exodus 12, 5, he instructs the Israelites who back in that, in the Old Testament, they sacrificed actual animals in picture of the lamb of God that would be sacrificed one day. And what he told them is your lamb must be without blemish and without spot. Exodus chapter 12, verse 5. If Jesus were a sinner in any sense of the word, then he could not provide salvation for us. Uh, he came into this world by supernatural means. He lived a perfect and sinless life. And then he died a criminal's death as a sacrifice for you and your sins. He was that Lamb of God without blemish and without spot. Is it important to believe the virgin birth? Absolutely, it's important. The Bible makes this clear, 2 Corinthians 5, 21, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Does that mean that as Gabriel was talking, that Mary understood all this? Probably not. I mean, it's hard for us to grasp it all. Some of us, we can study this for years. You, you might, I don't know how many times you've read the Christmas story, but I don't know about you, but we might have already learned some things just in the past few minutes we didn't know before or see before. Did Mary understand everything? Probably not. But God doesn't demand that Mary understand everything. God only demands that uh, of her that she believes and willingly submits. Since Mary is likely to have doubts about all this, Gabriel calls to attention or to her attention her relative Elizabeth. She's now in her sixth month of pregnancy. Elizabeth is. This is going to result in the birth of John the Baptist. She had been barren, as we talked about. Her and Zacharias were old, and they couldn't have babies or children anymore. And yet, by some miracle of God, she's now six months pregnant with her first son. And it's not the same, of course, because Mary was a teenager. Elizabeth's in her 80s. Also, Elizabeth uh, got pregnant the, with a natural conception, uh, but Mary's came via the Holy Spirit. But the point is that both are examples of human impossibilities made possible by God. And what Gabriel's essentially saying is, Mary, if you doubt my word, go visit your cousin Elizabeth. She's in her 80s. Remember that 80th birthday party you had for her a few years back? You called the fire department out to put the cake out, you know, it was a big, big mess. She's pregnant. She's six months pregnant. And, and we all know she's told to have children. If God can do that for her, don't you think He can do this for you? Oh, that's such a help to us. This brings us to verse 37. A great Christmas verse that's often overlooked. For with God, nothing shall be impossible. He's able to do anything He decides to do. If God wants to cause a virgin to conceive, He can do it. If God wants to uh, a 70-year-old woman to have a baby, He can do it. If He wants to meet you in your difficulty, He can do it. Oh, we just need to trust and obey Him. Mary's life was disrupted. And I think what she does next is so natural. What happens when everything turns upside down for you and you've got all, this, uh, all these problems in your life or all these, uh, this disruption in your life? Often we seek out that one person that will understand. And the angel had told her that Elizabeth, her cousin or her relative, is also pregnant as well. And I would assume that the timing of this is all after the, the, the story about her back and forth with Joseph in Matthew chapter 1. So she's already experienced some doubt of her loved ones. She's already uh, been shamed by others. So she packs a bag and she heads off to visit Elizabeth. What a meeting this was. 
when Mary arrives at Elizabeth's house, told her what happened. We didn't read all of it, but in verse 41 it says, And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. This child, unborn child that was six months old in the womb, already had a life of his own. Can I tell you, that should settle the abortion issue in every believer's heart right there. The joy that stirred Elizabeth's soul when she heard Mary's story about uh, what happened to her, it communicated itself to her unborn child, and that child responded and leaped within her. What a story, huh? God using these two women. You have two ladies whose lives were absolutely disrupted. The question for you, my friend, is when God disrupts your life, how do you respond? Because if He hasn't, buckle up, He will. Our life will get disrupted. Things will happen. Things will get in the way. How do we respond? Do you realize that what, he, uh, what our Scripture says here in our passage what Gabriel told Mary is just as true today as the day that he said it, for with God nothing shall be impossible. That ought to encourage us. Because today, friend, you might be carrying some heavy burdens. Maybe this year Christmas is going to be a difficult one for you. You may be facing a financial crisis that looks hopeless. Your loved one might be facing an illness. You might be looking at a marriage that seems desperate. Uh, you may be facing the holidays alone. And all these things have this in common. They seem impossible to solve by human means. And that's maybe very true. After all, if human means would have solved your problem, you'd have done it already. We can't often solve our own problems. Remember this, for with God, nothing shall be impossible. Dr. Tom Malone said this, When God is going to do something wonderful, He starts with the difficult. When God is going to do something miraculous, He starts with the impossible. And He wants to still do miracles today. Don't you make any mistake about it. God is still in the business of working in His people's lives today. The same God that wrought all these miracles at the first Christmas He'll do it at this one too, if we just trust Him. What is it that God requires? Is it a total grasp of understanding what's going on? I don't think Elizabeth knew half what was going on. I don't think Mary knew half what was going on. They just trusted. Uh, Mary, I love what she said to him, uh, to, to Gabriel. She said, uh, uh, the, uh, the handmaiden, I'm looking for that verse here where it says, um, that, that uh, be it unto me according to thy word. What a, what a great sentence. Whatever you want, Lord, that's what I'll take. What does God want from us? I think that's what he wants. Be it unto me according to thy word. The same thing he wanted from Mary and Elizabeth. Simple faith. And he used them in a great and mighty way. Will you let him use you this Christmas? Will you, let, will you, will you hand over your disruptions to Him, and let Him work something wonderful in your life. He will, I promise you, if you trust Him. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. We looked at two different women today with different situations, different problems, different things they faced. And I don't know, friend, what you're facing. Maybe you're facing some heartache this Christmas or some difficult times and days ahead. Will you give it to the Lord today? Has your life been disrupted 
in ways that you can't quite figure out and you don't know what's going to happen next, will you give it to the Lord today? Would you stand along with me? Heads continue to be bowed, eyes closed as she begins to play. The altar's open if God spoke to your heart. Would you respond?